Hey guys, welcome to Keeping It OD Podcast, a show where we talk about everything optometry. First of all, I wanted to apologize for last week. I didn't get all the questions until later in the week to do the Q&A, so here we are. Better late than never, am I right? Um, And we've gotten a lot of new listeners, so I just wanted to reintroduce myself and the purpose of this podcast. Hopefully, you've listened to a couple episodes already, but basically, my name's Karen. I'm a senior at the University of Florida, and I'll be starting optometry school in the fall. And the reason why I started this whole podcast is to bring awareness and share resources with pre-optometry students and people who are looking into optometry as a plausible career option. Um, So today I'll be answering the questions you sent in on Instagram. And to be honest, I'm still struggling what to title this episode because the questions are a mixed bag, um, but in the best way. The goal of this podcast was really to share insight about optometry as a career, but also share a little bit of my own personal experience. Um, So this episode will be a perfect segue to that. Um, So let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, So starting off strong, the first question is, um, I just started looking into optometry. Where's a good place to start? Um, So this is a really good question. And I actually do have a whole episode dedicated to that. But to answer the question, I think a great place to start is to shadow or talk to your um, family optometrist and ask him or her um, what's their favorite part about their job or what does a normal day in their office look like? What do they get to do? Um, What's the work-life balance and things of that nature? Um, Because I think most importantly, before you jump right into, okay, how do I earn the degree is what does the career actually entail? So if you're going to, you know, be locked into this job forever, you want to make sure that you enjoy it and you don't just, you know, semi like it, you really enjoy it. And to me, optometry was really enjoyable because the work-life balance is great. You know, you don't have to work overnights. You don't have to work crazy long hours. And it's very customizable And in the sense that you can really make the most out of it. And it's totally up to you. And what I mean by that is that you can totally tailor your practice to your patient population. So if you have a lot of college students or a lot of elderly, you can adjust your hours, the equipment that you have, the staff, the tests that you do, um, all kinds of things. And again, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. So asking someone um, who's been doing this for a long time and someone that you uh, first and foremost trust their opinion um, will be really beneficial. So that's a great place to start. And then if you shadowed a couple times, and make sure to ask um, more than one person. So don't just take one opinion and run with it um, because, you know, that may not be indicative of, you know, the field as a whole. And just like everything in life, everything has a pro and con. And it's really up to you um, to make that discernment. So if the work-life balance, you know, sounds really awesome to you, and you don't want to work overnights, so maybe optometry is great for you. But if you do want to work those long shifts and you know you want to feel that adrenaline rush and you know run from floor to floor, maybe it's not really your vibe and you're not gonna find purpose and fulfillment in that field. Um, so just to sum it up, um, ask questions, 
to people that you trust. Ask a lot of people and shadow, shadow, shadow in different modalities. Go to a hospital setting, go to a private practice, go to a corporate office, um, as many places as you can. I realize now it's going to be a little bit more difficult um, and challenging to be able to shadow, um, but reaching out to your um, personal optometrist could be a great place to start right now, um, and he can maybe have you observe for a day or maybe do a video call with you or something like that. He can work something out, um, so that would be a great place to start. Um, so the second question here, I was put on an alternative list at my top choice. Any tips on how to get accepted? So for those listening that don't really know what an alternative list means, it's basically um, not a denial or not an acceptance. It's just kind of you're on this list um, and they usually have um, requirements that you need to meet before you are admitted. Um, so regarding the tips on how to get accepted or to get off of that list, I would reach out to their admissions committee first. I would email them nicely, um, express that this is your top choice. Um, if you haven't done that already um, during your interview or application, let them know that you know, you'd know you love to um, attend their program and it's your top choice. And ask them what you need to work on um, in order to meet their requirements. Um, so I think... Uh, um, Examples of that could be, you know, you need to set um, complete, you know, the semester's um, courses and send them, you know, updated grades for your GPA. Um, they might want you to retake the OAT. Um, I'm not really sure how many schools require shadowing or clinical hours, um, but they might require you to shadow. Um, they might require an extra letter or um, you know, a stronger per personal statement. So just reach out to them and ask, I think would be the best advice I could give you. Um, just because like from gauging off of this, I don't know the program and I don't know your specific circumstance. So it could be something as easy as, okay, after you're done with this semester, please send us an updated transcript and we'll reconsider. So if you, you know, work really hard this semester and make sure, um, you know, to do really great in the classes, send them the transcript, and that might be what they need to get you off of that alternative list. Um, but reach out to them, be nice, be courteous, let them know that they're your top choice, and hopefully you um, will get in. Best of luck. All right, so the third question I got here says, it looks like I might be taking a gap year. What do you recommend I do during that year? Um, so I may not be the best person to ask this question because I personally will not be taking a gap year, but here are some things that I can kind of guide you through and just some food for thought, things that you could potentially do, um, to turn your gap year into a growth year, um, like they now call it. So think about why you're taking a gap year. So if you're taking a gap year or growth year because you didn't get to take the OAT or you need to retake it. So, you know, you need to study and retake the OAT. If you're taking the gap year because, you know, you didn't get to know enough professors, so you don't have a lot of letters, then maybe do, um, you know, a small master's program or take extra classes and then do really well on them so you can have professors that are willing to write you a letter. Um, you can also shadow. Um, again, 
I know it's really hard and frustrating um, now, especially with everything going on with COVID um, and the restrictions that they have at clinics. Um, it's really been hard to shadow. But I know that a lot of great optometrists out there have alternative options. So they'll do like a Zoom meeting with you or they can do like send you some procedures or some food for thought for you to think about. Um, and you can check in with them and they'll be more than happy to write you a letter. Um, you can also travel. Um, and I know like some people think of like, oh my gosh, gap year, I have, all I have to do is study. And that is true, um, I would say to some extent only because you don't want to start optometry school after being out of school for a year. I think that would be really challenging. Um, I wouldn't say impossible. You can definitely do it if you want to just travel the world and explore new cultures and, you know, do fun things before you start optometry school. You can definitely do that. But I think look at your own circumstances and see what needs to be worked on, whether that being academically, professionally, personally. So if you need that time for your mental health, um, definitely do so. Travel, um, work, you know, gain experiences, explore new things, um, you know, get a new hobby, sport, things like that um, so that you can grow personally. Um, you can also take, you know, some extra classes. Um, they don't even have to relate to optometry. Um, I know a lot of people um, have told me that they took, like, Harvard business classes that they offered for free online, found those really helpful. Um, so you can honestly tackle each area um, of your life that you feel needs a little bit of work on. And, you know, we're all obviously not perfect. So just... I think looking at what needs to be worked on during that year, and honestly, in the grand scheme of things, a year is really not that long of a time period. Like I know a lot of people um, look at growth years or gap years as a bad thing. If my um, circumstance permitted, I would have taken a gap year and I was honestly planning on it um, when I applied because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm applying to a optometry school in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I was happy with my OAT score. Um, it wasn't, you know, spectacular, but it was average. And I last minute decided, hey, I'm just going to take my chances and apply. And I ended up getting into my top program. So that's kind of how that played out. But I guess if I personally was to take a growth year, I would do a few things. So I would obviously still work as a technician. I think the experience and knowledge you learn from um, being a technician is priceless. So not only are you um, learning, you know, the lingo, the types of diseases, the types of tests that you do, you also learn how to um, bear bad news, deal with hard patients, and just the overall feel and flow of the office. Um, so before I teched, when I just shadowed and, you know, focus on, you know, meeting the requirements academically for optometry school. I didn't know how I would perform an exam on someone on a wheelchair or someone who's nonverbal or someone who's very difficult, someone who's very scared, or if it's their first time um, doing an eye exam. And I think um, working in an office, honestly, I wouldn't say I'm 100% confident because I'm not equipped with all the skills and knowledge to perform or do a complete eye exam, but I know a little bit more than I did before I got this job, and I've only been there for about 
eight months or so. Um, and I work part time. Um, but yeah, if you're able to get a job full time or even part time, just getting that exposure and also, you know, potentially making that um, connection and networking with people that you could potentially be your future boss um, when you're a doctor. Um, like I work for a um, corporate office and, you know, potentially after I graduate from optometry school, I can go back and work for them as a doctor. So um, great way to get your foot in the door and just learn how things work and how, you know, the office runs and things like that. Um, because you can know how to do everything in the book, you know, how to refract and dilate and do all the, you know, in and outs of the eye exam. But if you don't have the people skills, it might, you know, be a little bit difficult for you. So if I were taking a gap year, I would definitely work more. Um, I would also still, if time permits, volunteer or shadow. I know volunteering might be a little bit easier right now um, than shadowing, but just doing um, unconventional things. So if I were to take a gap year, I would probably volunteer for the Department of Blind Services. They do really great things, and they're always looking for volunteers. So if you're taking a gap year or just this summer and you're looking for something fun to do, um, they always put on you know fun programs for um, their patrons. So one um, year in high school when I worked with the Department of Blind Services, they would have us partner with optometrists in the area and we would put on, you know, um, informational seminars to people who have recently um, lost their vision or in the process of, you know, losing a part of their vision, whether that being, you know, macular degeneration or some um, genetic disorder. And they would let them know of the resources available to them, you know, such as apps, um, services that the department offers and things like that. So it's really cool to be involved not only with local optometrists, but also to see the impact that your future career have on the community because um, it's huge. Um, and, you know, if you have a local, you obviously do have a local Department of Blind Services, reach out to them and see if they're looking for volunteers. It doesn't even have to be, you know, a long commitment. Mine was only um, a couple hours every Friday, every week. Um, and, you know, if, let's say something comes up, you can always tell them like, hey, like, I, I won't be able to come in today. They're very flexible, but it's something fun to do. Um, and I highly recommend it for sure. Um, the next thing that I would do, I would probably read more. Again, doesn't necessarily have to be optometry related, um, but just to reiterate what I um, previously said, you need to keep your mind going. Like you can't just be on a vacation essentially for a year and then expect to do really well as soon as you get to optometry school. I mean, I know probably some people might be able to do that, but I personally will find it really challenging. Like when I took um, the summer off to study for the OAT, it was really hard to get back into the swing of things for fall semester. Um, let me just put it that way. So I definitely read more, you know, volunteer work. Um, also, there's anything that, again, was weak on your initial application, make sure to strengthen it and then some. Um, and this is because 
when you're reapplying, they're going to ask you extra questions. So I know for the program that I'm attending in the fall, that for their reapplicant application, they'll ask you, um, I think, two or three additional questions about what you did during your growth year. So you just want to make sure that you have something to tell them um, that you did and, you know, how you improved and strengthened your application and why you're a better applicant this cycle than you were the previous cycle. Um, so those would be my tips. Again, I'm not personally taking a gap year, but if you have any more questions about things that I did to be involved uh, or to include on my application, you can email me or DM me and I'll be happy to help. All right, so the fourth question um, here, it says, I'm starting to study for the OET, but I'm getting very overwhelmed with the amount of material. What's a good strategy to prepare for the OET? This is a really good question and something that I struggled with not that long ago. So I definitely can give you some insight on that. So when studying for the OET, I think it's important to know that almost all of the material should be review. Um, so again, and this goes back to what I said in a couple episodes ago, when you're starting to sit for the OAT or study for the OAT, make sure that you have completed all those courses. It'll make it a lot easier um, to learn it for a second time than to teach yourself, you know, or go to your physics too. Um, but again, everyone's circumstance is different and I don't know what yours might be. Um, and especially again with COVID and, you know, classes and schedules um, being all over the place. Um, I understand that some people um, might have had to take the OET before they finished certain classes. Um, again, I'm just trying to give you, you know, the easiest route almost, air quotes, because it's not really the easiest route, but it's just going to set you up for success um, because you're just reviewing the material. Um, and you're just, you know, getting it a little bit of a refresher um, as opposed to learning it for the very first time. So, yes, it's a good chunk of material. It's a lot. And you do have to sit for an exam three or four hours and have all this knowledge ready to go at that time. can sound scary, but having studied and sat for the exam in retrospect, honestly, it's not that bad, and I'll tell you why. Um, first, you need to know that you're doing this to prepare you for optometry school. So you need to know, you know, the basic biological processes, optics, all of that. I mean, some things are a little bit of an overkill. Not gonna lie to you, like the reading comprehension section and the math section. You know, those you just kind of either know you're doing, and and it's you know, you practice it until you get good, but I'm assuming you're more concerned with the sciences because those technically need to be, um, you know, at a higher percentile. They um, are looked at um, more so than the other sections. Every section is equally as important, obviously, but to not get overwhelmed, I think it's key to review materials first. Um, never, ever, ever jump into practice problems or taking a practice exam because even if you just finished physics two and orgo two, let's say you did, and you jump right into taking a practice exam because you're like, okay, I think I got it. I already took all this classes. Like I, I know my materials and you end up getting a bad score. 
although not indicative of anything because you haven't refreshed your memory on any of the materials, now you all of a sudden cannot get past the idea of, oh my gosh, I did so bad, I'm overwhelmed. Um, so I suggest that you dedicate the first two to three weeks content review. So that means you need to review bio, all meiosis, mitosis, all of that fun stuff, the Krebs cycle, all of that. You need to review materials. Do occasional practice problems as you finish each section, but I wouldn't jump into full practice exams until about two or three weeks out of the exam. Um, and that's just what worked for me um, and for other people that I've asked. So I guess you're asking for the strategy that worked for me. This is that. And break it up. So what I would do is I wouldn't just dedicate one day for bio because you'd get burnout, you get bored, and you'll feel overwhelmed because there's 12 different chapters. Um, so what I did, I would do a couple topics of each science um, course um, a day. So that way, you know, it's a nice change of pace. You're breaking it up and you're not getting bored with the material. Um, and for math, I honestly just kind of did it for funsies. Um, at the end of the night, I just, it, it's honestly super simple. It's all algebra based. Um, you do have to memorize like a few formulas, but it's nothing too intense and you do get a calculator. So I wouldn't stress about that one too much. Like I would study all day, um, do things that needed heavy memorization early in the mornings. And then, you know, I'll do like orgo at, at the end and then at the end of the day, I'll probably do like a couple practice problems for math and then a reading passage. Um, so break it up and do a little bit of each section every day. So that way you're constantly reviewing everything and you're not getting tired. And um, I'll go a little bit more in depth about that when I release my suggested study schedule. Um, I'll dedicate a whole, like I'll do a video, I'll update everything. I'm super excited to release that for you guys. I think it will be a great help because it definitely helped me um, when I was preparing for the OAT. I hope that was somewhat helpful. I know like I didn't give you good strategies of being overwhelmed. Obviously, you know, get some rest, um, respect your body because if you overwork your body, you will not be able to retain anything and you'll be exhausted, burned out. So get some sleep, eat well, like focus on your mental health. The OET is important, but so is your mental health. And if your body is shutting down, no matter how late you st stay up studying, you will not retain anything. Um, and I tried to, I learned this the hard way. Um, so just be kind to yourself and you'll get there eventually. You'll um, feel confident for the OAT and you'll do great. And you'll look at it retrospectively and just think like, wow, what was I thinking? Um, but good luck with everything. All right. Question five um, says, I start optometry school next fall. First of all, congratulations. And I am in my final semester of college, but I'm burned out and can't seem to find motivation to study. I'm afraid that I will get into optometry. I will go into optometry school with this mentality and struggle. Please help. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, kind of in the same boat currently. I'm also in my last semester. And, you know, I've had it um, on and off. You know, sometimes I'm super motivated to, you know, it's my last semester. I'm taking really fun classes, but 
I do get it, and especially with a lot of the schools taking spring break away from us, um, it can be hard to find motivation to study because there's really only, nothing to look forward to. Um, but again, I think that, you know, giving yourself, first of all, breaks, um, you, you just mentioned that you're getting burned out. You're probably, I'm assuming, overworking yourself. And although that's great, um, you know, you should always keep busy. You should also make time to rest and recharge. Um, and that can be hard, especially that it's your last semester. You want to do everything under the sun and be super involved and also study and do well. Um, and I know that for me to, you're already in, right? So you can kind of be like, oh, but like, what if I slack on this assignment? Um, and what I always remind myself is that you are who you train yourself to be and who you think of yourself as. So if you think of yourself as a hardworking student, someone who's very driven and motivated, then you will do everything almost perfect. You obviously strive for perfection, but you know, we don't always have to achieve perfection. But I think reminding yourself that, you know, you've gotten this far and you need to finish strong and you should be excited for the new chapter, you know, optometry school, but that also shouldn't take away from, you know, enjoying your last semester of undergrad. I think that's something that I've had to remind myself of a lot this semester is that, you know, this is really my last semester of undergrad and I really need to enjoy it. And by that, I need to, you know, be on my best game, my A game. Um, not, not necessarily literally all A's, but, you know, you strive to do well in those classes and just finish off strong because, you know, you've spent three or however long, however many years to get to that point and you want to make yourself proud more than anyone else. Um, so I guess just focus on that. Enjoy your last semester of undergrad because, you know, you only get one last semester of undergrad. So really enjoy it and remember what got you to this point and what the next chapter holds and get excited about that. And honestly, like it's March. So it's the last push and I know you can do it. Um, but yeah, I hope that was kind of helpful. All righty. So we're at the halfway point. Question Number six, um, it says, I know you dedicated a lot of episodes on interviews and how each one is structured, but I want to know your personal experience if that is okay. That is totally okay. Um, I think I shared a little bit of that um, on some of the episodes, but I guess I'll just kind of give you a brief synopsis of what that was like for me. So I applied to eight schools um, in middle of July, so the application cycle opened um, June 30th, and I applied around July 17th, something like that, and it was right around my birthday, and, um, the reason why I applied to eight schools is because I doubted myself. I, in retrospect, shouldn't have applied to eight schools, but, you know, it all worked out. I created, you know, this podcast and everything after building those relationships with admissions committees and members at those schools to bring you guys, you know, their insight and what they recommend um, you do in order to be competitive for their program. So in retrospect, I don't regret applying to eight schools, um, but I did get um, invited to all eight schools um, back to interview. They all didn't happen at the same time, though. So 
Um, after I applied, like I got all the supplementaries right away. Um, but then the interviews were kind of sparse. So I got like two and then I got like two more. And then I interviewed my first one was sometime in August. And then my last one was the end of October. So lots of interviews during that time. Um, they were kind of like scattered, which made it hard because you get accepted. Um, what's the word? Oh my goodness. I'm having a brain freeze. Um, not periodically. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, guys. Um, it's rolling. Oh my goodness. Rolling admissions. It's a rolling admission cycle. So once you've completed the interview, some schools respond as early as the same day, the next day, a couple days after, um, some schools took over a month to get back to me. So it really depended. But so for the interviews, I was obviously super nervous for my first one. And I don't think I shared which one was my first, but my first interview was at Kentucky College of Optometry and I was over the moon excited. I was so happy. I like changed my whole like bedroom decor around layout so that it like looks professional. I went out and bought like a new suit and everything. I was so nervous and I think honestly probably was my worst interview experience not on their end but more so on my end like my responses weren't as great as I would hope that they would be. Um, but again, it was my first one, so I didn't really know what to expect. Um, how I prepared for it, you know, typical, I went on um, Student Doctor Network um, and just looked up what possible interview questions they could ask you. And the good thing is with Zoom, um, you could have your notes app open. So I like jot down some things that I wanted to ask them and just you know, key points that I wanted to let them know. Um, it was honestly pretty grilling. I'm not going to lie to you. Anyone that's interviewed at Kentucky um, could tell me how their experience went because mine, um, I had two um, professors interviewing me. One was a pharmacist and I think the other guy was a physicist as well. Um, neither of them were optometrists, but they um, were faculty, so they taught classes to optometry students, which I thought was great um, to be interviewed by professors. So some of the questions were, you know, we saw your physics grades, like what happened there? And mind you, my interviewer is a physicist, so I almost peed my pants. Like I did not know what to say. I stuttered, and I'm of a stutterer. Like I stutter a lot. That's, you know, one of my key features, if you will. Like I, anything you tell me, I'd be like, oh, what? So that was like something that I needed to get over with my um, other interviews. I was like, okay, Karen, like you can't be stuttering your way through your interview. Like that's just not professional. Um, and they don't know you. This is their first interaction with you. So that was that. Um, so yeah, after I did that interview, I was like, oh my goodness, I just blew that. That was terrible. They're not gonna even send me a thank you letter like this is awful um so they ended up emailing me after and they were so sweet about it they were like oh my gosh like you know they didn't say oh my gosh but you know in a professional way they said oh you did really good we were so glad to get to know you like we'll you know get back to you in the next few weeks 
Um, so that was my first one. And then I did another one with Chicago College of Optometry, CCO. That one was a little bit more mellow, I would say, because it was a not a group interview, but there was a group of us. And then they did um, the traditional, you know, presentations. And then you put into breakout rooms and stuff. And I liked that format more because when you got to know your um, the other members in your um, interview group, you can you can kind of tell that everyone's in the same boat, so it kind of eased my nerve a little bit um, before my one-on-one. And that one was, you know, a little bit more pleasant. I was definitely more prepared than I was for my first one because, like, okay, they're going to ask about grades. They're going to ask about why you wanted to do this. Like, I need to be prepared. But I also don't want to sound scripted um, because that's never a good sign. You know, if you have to script um, to get your way into a program, that's never a good sign um, for the interviewer or for your decision to pursue optometry. You know, if you have to kind of fake it till you make it sort of situation. And this is, you know, not to say that you have to, you know, be head over heels for the profession, but you have to have some basic understanding and passion for it. Um, so that it doesn't come across as pretentious to the interviewer. Um, so that was my second interview experience, slightly more pleasant, still, you know, a little bit nerve wracking. Um, and then they let me know the next day. Still at that point, hadn't heard back from Kentucky. I was a little bit scared. Um, but then after that, I got an invitation to interview for my top program, the one that I'm attending in the fall. Um, I got to interview with Nova for, that was my third interview. Um, and I was like, okay, I can't blow this one up. Like I've already gotten into Chicago. Like, you know, I am accepted into a program. Um, but I would really love to stay in state for obvious reasons. Chicago, again, there's nothing wrong with any of the eight schools that I applied to. Like I would have loved to attend any of them and I was, you know, blessed enough to get offers from all of them. It's just, this is what kind of made sense to me at the time. Um, so with that one, it was, you know, a closed file and then an open file. And then um, we did like a lunch with the Dean sort of deal. So you got to meet um, everyone else that interviewed that day and they talked about the program. And so I could go on, um, but those are kind of the only three that I kind of remember vividly. Um, I can, you know, again, go into a little bit more detail if you guys want me to on a different episodes or I can do an Instagram story. But basically, my experience was, you know, the first one didn't go that great. I ended up getting accepted um, into the program, but I wasn't very happy with my answers and with my interview as a whole. Um, I definitely, there's definitely some things that I could have done better. My tip for you, if you're still interviewing um, or preparing for one, would be just to be honest with yourself first um, when you're preparing for it and with the interviewers. So yes, you need to prep, but don't prep to the point where anything that you say sounds scripted and off of the website um, because that wouldn't really you know, fly because they're going to ask you questions and they're going to be personal um, and you want to make it you know, 
both ways, you know, they're being genuine and personal and you're reciprocating that as well. Um, overall, I would say positive experiences. Like I haven't had one that was like really awful that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never attending this program, like no matter what. Um, some were more engaging than others. Um, you know, when they did the, um, student panel and they had student ambassadors and they did, um, you know, financial aid and stuff. I think the two schools that were really good with that were OMSL and Indiana. Um, it was a longer interview, um, period. It was, I think three to four hours. And, you know, we were able to talk to students. We were able to ask about housing, financial aid, the program, scholarships, all of that. So that was good. Um, but again, the one-on-one, there was nothing wrong with that. It was, you know, shorter. Um, but that meant you kind of had to find your own information and resources when it came to finances, the program, um, specifics and things like that. Um, so overall I would say pretty okay experience and good luck with your interviews. Um, and I hope they all go well. All right. Um, so the next question here says, which optometry school did you decide to attend and how did you make a decision? Okay. So, oh, kind of mentioned that. So I am going to Nova Southeastern, um, starting next fall. I know exciting. Um, and honestly, the decision factor for me was location and tuition. And I know that is probably not the answer that you were looking to hear or were expecting. But again, like I said, I interviewed at all eight schools. I really enjoyed all of them. Um, All the programs were great. But I have lived in Florida my whole life. I don't know any other state other than Florida. And I didn't want to, you know, start fresh and new in a new state in a new program all by myself for optometry school. And I know this, you know, might be different for some people. Some people might say like, oh, I do really want to move out of state, have a brand new fresh start, you know, new program, new state, all of that. And there's nothing wrong with it. Um, Again, if you go back to, you know, the best, the perfect school may not be perfect for you episode. I talk about that um, explicitly, but basically... Um, it just made the most sense to me. Um, I was going to be closer to my family. It was going to be, um, you know, less incurred debt later on. And the program is really nice. Um, all the optometrists that I've worked with and shadowed um, attended and graduated NOVA, and they're phenomenal optometrists. Um, I wish I could be um, just like them when I graduate, too. Um, so, yeah, my role models graduated from there. It's closer to my family. And I'm not going to be drowning in so much debt. I mean, I'll be drowning in some debt, but it's not going to be, you know, way over my budget. But yeah, so going to Nova, I decided to stay in Florida for just four more years. And then we'll see where life takes me. But yeah, that's where I'm going. Um, The next question asked, I'm leaning towards optometry because my parents are optometrists. Would that be a compelling reason to mention on my application? Um, honestly, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Um, I'm not, you know, working in admissions, but I don't think it's a bad reason um, because that means that you saw 
their impact and what they do um, for a living and you liked it and that aspect really interests you. Um, But I think it shouldn't be the only reason. So it is a good reason and it's something that you could potentially look more into and dig deeper and try to find, okay, what other aspects of the career excite me and why do I want to pursue it? Um, But I think there's nothing wrong to want to follow in your parents' footsteps. Um, At the end of the day, like they're your role models and you, you know, you look up to them. And I think it's great that they're both optometrists. So you get to see, you know, their perspectives and if they work in different offices, how things um, flow in each office. So, you know, you can maybe tag along for a day, shadow them, see how things work, ask them questions, um, ask their friends. I think that could be great. Um, foot in the door and you know if you fall in love with it find that you're passionate about it that could be great you can expand on that reason but if it's only because you know they're optometrists so you're assumed to automatically um, be one it wouldn't be compelling only because I feel like it wouldn't be fulfilling to you now I don't know you personally um, and I'm like open to talk to you about that more um, but yeah, I think you should definitely, you know, take that interest and dig deeper and find other aspects of the field that you like and enjoy. And if that, you know, excites you and makes every day for the next, what, 30, 40 years seem exciting to get up and go to work and do it every day, then maybe it is the right profession for you. Okay, um, so the next question says, just curious, what made you decide to start this podcast? I'm a huge fan, by the way. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for listening. Um, Super appreciate you. Um, So why I started this podcast is pretty simple. So I applied last summer, summer of 2020. And I, you know, got in, but I had to do all the work by myself. Granted, it wasn't, you know, hard work, air quotes, but I did have to do all the research because even though I go to a big SEC school, the resources about optometry schools or people that have gone to optometry school are very limited to none. Um, It was almost impossible to find um, classmates that were on a pre-optometry track. Um, Everyone is either pre-med, pre-dental, pre-PT, pre-nursing, all of those pre-health but never pre-optometry, and it honestly was difficult to find someone to, like, study for the OET with or, like, what resources are the best to utilize? What are the stats? Like, do I need to retake this class? Like, is my GPA okay? Like, what schools do I apply to? So after I'd um, done that and, you know, interviewed and got accepted um, and then eventually made those connections and networked with those um, committee members and faculty. Um, I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, like, would you want to work with me if I create this platform to bring awareness to pre-optometry students? Because I don't think that many campuses have those resources. Like if my big SEC campus, um, the biggest university in Florida, um, doesn't have a pre-optometry club, I'm sure smaller universities and um, colleges will not have that either. And they were really excited because, you know, this is not a one-man show. 
I do collaborate with a lot of optometrists, a lot of admissions committees, faculty, um, you name it, and other students as well. Um, so it was a thought, and then I was approached by a company that wanted to um, kind of sponsor my show and make it into a reality, so help me edit um, and get my name out there. And that's kind of how it all came about. Um, but I really did it only to help those who are or in my shoe um, and just make it a more, you know, accessible resource for you. Um, you know, if you want to know about how the admissions process work for Nova, I got you. It's already there. Um, although, you know, I don't have all 20 schools on there yet. Um, slowly working on that um, for the next coming week. So stay tuned. So many things coming. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much how it came about. And I hope to, you know, continue it on as I embark on optometry school and share my, you know, experiences with it and my classmates, etc. Okay, so the last question uh, I'm going to answer today um, asks, when will you post the suggested OET study schedule? I plan on taking the OET this summer. Um, when is also a good time to apply? So lots of questions. First of all, good luck with studying for the OET. I know you're going to do great. Phenomenal. Um, so I'm still working on this study schedule. Um, I haven't decided if I want to do 8 or 10 or 12 weeks. Um, I might just do all three. And then have you guys like pick and choose. I know personally, I did 12 weeks. Um, some people want to do 10. Some people want to do 8. Um, so I want to make sure to have an option for everyone. So that will be coming, I'm hoping, sometime in April. Um, so it's basically going to be a day-by-day -day schedule and then a weekly overview of how the week goes. And then again, once that um, is published, I'm going to make either an episode or video about it, kind of walk you through it and see if you have any questions about it. But yeah, so it's going to be completely free. I'm going to post it on um, Instagram. I can also have a link to it, a PDF, so you can download it. Um, and hopefully that will help you. Um, again, you don't have to stick to it to a T. It's just kind of breaks it up for you if you um, are having difficulty finding, you know, the right schedule to follow for studying because it could get hard. Um, so that will be that. Um, and I think you should apply after you take the OAT. So whenever that may be. So you can start on the application as soon as right now. Um, and, you know, you can do my little trick of copying, pasting for the new cycle. Um, so you save yourself time that way, but do not submit until you have OET scores, even if they're unofficial, because you don't want to apply and then put yourself in a situation where you have an application out there, but with an OET that's not competitive enough. I'm not saying that that will happen, but, you know, just in case it does, um, you never know what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, you should definitely apply right after you take your OET. Um, a couple of days. I took mine on the 13th, applied on the 17th. Um, so it took me a couple of days to kind of just polish things a little bit. Um, you know, you can do it before or after. 17th seemed to be a good time. I know people that applied in November and still got accepted this cycle. So you don't have to be super, super early. Um, I was just playing it safe. And I, you know, if you can, and if your application is ready by that time, 
highly suggest it. Um, because, you know, if you're during your fall semester, things might be busy and, you know, scheduling interviews and waiting to hear back, it could be a little bit chaotic and stressful. So if you can get it over with before you start your fall semester, it will put your mind more at ease. Um, not like in a bad way, um, where you would slack, but in a good way where you're like, okay, like this is my motivation. Like I need to do well, um, so that I can hope go to autonomy school next fall. All right. So these are all the questions. Thank you again so much for sending these. I enjoyed, um, answering all of them. And if you have any more questions, feel free to DM me anytime. I try to get back to them as soon as I see them. You can also direct any collaboration increase to the email at keepinitodpodcast.hotmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram to keep up when episodes go live. It's at keepin.it.od. And I will see you next time with a brand new episode all about optometry. And as always, we'll be keeping it OD. Thank you guys.